Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this day, as, as you promised that the day of the Lord is upon us, teach us to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for he is your deliverance. As he came to bear our sins and be our Savior, so also he will come again to be our judge and to be our deliverer. So let us prepare for his coming in repentance and never tiring doing what is good. And as that day draws near, let us spend our days meditating on your word, that day and night we might rejoice in your promises, we might trust in your forgiveness, we might see our Savior Jesus. So now as we read that word, give us your spirit for wisdom. In Jesus' name. Okay, so John chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to finally finish John 5, um, which is this long chapter, well, I've made it quite long, on uh, Jesus healing a guy, getting in trouble for it, and then him explaining why he did what he did. So you guys know that. So let's read 5, 37 through 47, and then we'll study it. So I'm going to read John 5, verses 37 to 47. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that, you, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if anyone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe it? Believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Where you went? On to the end of the chapter. Oh, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Thank you. What translation is that? It sounded like an IV. Yeah, an IV. Okay. Yeah. Had that NIV feel to it, you know. All right. Number one. How does God desire for us to read the scriptures? Right. He desires us to read the scriptures in Christ. I don't know how else to say. it's it's kind of hard to say, but but the lens through which you want to look into the Bible is Jesus. You want to see the entire thing through the lens of Jesus. This is God's will for us as to how to read the scriptures. They are you don't want to ever approach the scriptures outside of Jesus. And this is exactly what he's getting at in John chapter 5. He's saying that they are reading the Bible without him as the lens. So this is important. It's, it's not our mission to convince the world the Bible's true. It's actually, as you approach the scriptures, you want to help people understand to read them in Christ. See, that's their truth. Their truth is the revelation of God in Christ. Does that make sense? It, it doesn't really help for this world to read the Bible outside of Christ. As a matter of fact, that's worse. And we'll get to why. What we want to teach this world is that this Word of God, this inspired, inerrant Word of God, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what it is. It teaches us who God is in Christ. Every page. Both Testaments. But don't, but, but don't we just, I mean, we, we just want to say, read the Bible with the Holy Spirit. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So, sure. I mean, we're putting... Well, you have to read it, read it, but you have to read it through the lens of Christ. So, you know, and if I don't get, you know, then uh -huh. maybe I'm not going to pick up my Bible. Maybe we should, shouldn't 
shouldn't we just say yes open your bible read it every day let's that's not what he says he says you think you're doing this right well you're not if you don't read it about me it's actually killing you instead of giving you life so we don't want to give it to people to kill them we want to give it to them to give them life so we actually do instruct people in the word the scriptures are full of this the 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 faith is not given by magic. It's actually given through instruction, through words, through teaching, through instruction in the word. So you want to give the Bible and say, read this. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, and let the, obviously the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to give the faith, give the understanding. But we want to give it with instruction, right? This is what it is. Well, that's why it's so important to have faithful pastors that... That are constantly... That are always saying to us, you're hearing these words, this is how they point to Christ. They, they point out law, they point out gospel. And they, and they walk us through the scriptures saying, here's three readings this morning, right? That's what we do. We walk into church, we have three readings. Your pastor says, okay, you heard the three readings. Now, here's how you hear them in Christ, right? This is what they mean for you in Christ. This is how you hear them in the life of the church. This is how they point you to word and sacrament. This is how they point out the law in your life, the things that we're doing wrong that we should repent of. Here's how they point to the gospel, what God has done to forgive your sins. That's what faith, faithful pastors do every day. So that when you're dying, your pastor's going to walk up and say, here's the word of God and here's what it means for you. Right? Here's how that word of God brings Christ into your life. That's what pastors do every day. Right? And that's why we need our pastors. We pray for our pastors, right? And that's the other reason, and, and going to Karen's point, that's why our pastors have a master's degree in theology. This ain't easy, right? First of all, God, just because he is God, he decided to not write the Bible in English. I don't know why, but he did. So the first thing I do is figure out how to read this book in Greek and Hebrew. But our pastors learn that, and they do it. And the reason they do that is because they want to make sure that they're interpreting the scriptures according to the will of God, right? So we spend lots of hours, our pastor spends lots of hours studying the scriptures, studying also what the church has said about those holy scriptures, because we don't want any lone ranger, it's my idea guys out there. We want to make sure what we're teaching is a doctrine that has always been taught. The last thing you want to do is teach a doctrine for the first time. Yeah? You want everything you teach as a pastor or as an instructor in the Word to be something that's always been said. Always. It would be best if you, if you taught it and Adam goes, Yeah, that's exactly what God told me in the garden. Right? We don't want any new theologies here. So part of the instruction is reading the scriptures as it applies to today in a way that's always been taught. Does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense, but that's, that's the way it is. Well, and so as a parishioner sitting in the pew, as you listen to a pastor in the sermon or a Bible study or whatever, yeah. as they're talking about a, a portion of scripture, the lessons for the day, you should all... You should always think, now, how is this pointed to Jesus? And hopefully he will point that out to you. Yeah, and so what happens if you don't get any Jesus? That's sad. You can walk up to your pastor and say, hey, we, we didn't call you to give us your opinion. We called you to talk to us about Jesus. Right? And we love you and we pray for you, but we want Jesus when you talk. That's why we came, Right? Don't put up with a pastor who doesn't point you to Jesus. Okay, that's why we thank God for our pastor. He's pointing us to Christ. He's saying, hey, he's right here in the sacrament. That's what he said this morning, right? He said, you're talking temple? you talking temple? You don't got to go to Jerusalem. No. Christ is your temple. And, you, and he's right here. He's right here in word and sacrament. The presence of God is here in Christ for you. And he said, come receive it. Right? It's right here on the altar. See, that's your pastor saying, this is God for you in Christ. Right here. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. Just come receive it. Freely given. 
right? And he said today, you guys are arrogant evildoers. So I left. I was like, forget you. (laughs) But he said, arrogant evildoers who are welcome to come receive the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But it's God for you. It's Christ for you. Right? See, that's what our pastors do. They always point us to Christ. They're not afraid to tell us the truth about who we are as sinners. And they point us to Christ. Yeah? See, and that's good. All right, any other questions on that or thoughts? Yeah. I was going to say, if we don't have faithful pastors to teach us, we'll always find someone who is more than willing to instruct us and lead us astray. Yes. There's There's no shortage of false teachers. Never has been, never will be. Always teacher who, people who are willing to point us something other than Jesus. Yeah. Well, also, also to Karen's point, the, uh, the, the practicing Jews today are just like these Pharisees. They're reading the scriptures daily. Daily. But they're not seeing Christ in them. So they are actually being accused by them, which is what we're going to get at the end. That's right. And, and there are Christian denominations who are reading the Bible daily and not seeing Jesus in them. And you will watch them fall away from teaching the true faith, right? And we worry about that. There are, there are Christian denominations who are no longer teaching Jesus. So I'm not totally sure they're Christian denominations anymore. It's, it's a sad reality, and we don't always get it because of the, the wonderful doctrine that we have. But there are a lot of Christian denominations. You can go to church and never hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or never hear that you're a sinner. It, it, it happens. And, and it's, it's a terrifying thought. Okay? So number two, what happens if you read them and don't believe in Jesus? You get nothing. You do not get life from them. The scriptures will not give you life if you don't believe in Jesus. Okay? So if you read them and you don't believe in Jesus, you do not get life you do not see God and you do not hear from God. Okay? And in the end, they will accuse you. Okay? Which, now this is an important thing. You guys have heard this before. I've said this before. Lex. Yes. You guys ever notice that? That Superman's enemy is Luther's law. It's kind of weird. Lex Semper. The Luthor is spelled a little bit different. Accusat. Okay. What does Lex Semper Accusat mean? The law always accuses. Okay. So if Jesus is saying that when you read the scriptures without him, that Moses is actually accusing you. How are you reading the scriptures if Jesus isn't part of your reading of scripture? It's all law. And you will end up condemned. Because this is actually the point of all of this. Is that the gospel is Christ. If you take out Christ, there is no gospel. If you take out Christ, is there still a God? Yes, and he's accusing you. He's going to destroy you. But if you read without Christ, there is no gospel in God. He's only a law God. And this is the problem, is that when we come before a God who has no gospel, who has no way to save us, then guess who's got to save you? You. Well, guess what? You're the problem. So how is the problem going to save itself? You never will. So you're always coming before God wondering if he loves you. Wondering if you've done enough to be saved. And that's a law that will literally kill you. And so what Jesus is saying is, look at the end of the chapter. He says, 
do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, because they're not reading the Bible about him. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, then you would believe me. See, if you read Moses correctly, Moses is, is preaching the gospel. But you're not reading Moses as being about Jesus. You're just reading him as law. And that will accuse you. This is what Jesus is saying. Okay? Any questions on that or thoughts? Susan? The most frustrating conversations I've had. Dear friend of my husband, who was ultimately a dear friend of mine, whose wife had died, and he was conflicted because he could not believe that she was saved since she did not die, had not confessed all her sins and did not die right. in a state of grace. That's right. I could not get through it because he would, he would go to like craft fairs and have a booth about such a because he was very strict on it. And yeah. I could not get through to him. It was just frustrating. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a very common belief. Um, it's, it's taught by Roman Catholics explicitly that if you die, if you die before you have the opportunity to repent of all of your sins, you die with those sins. Now, if you die and you haven't committed any mortal sins since you repented, then you're still pretty good. But before you go to heaven, you got to stop in purgatory for a while and burn off those venial sins, right? Could take billions of years. I don't know. There's, there's no time limit on that. So what happens is, is this, this teaching comes around that in order to die and go to heaven, you have to have repented of all your sins. So what do you do? You have the priest come on your deathbed and give you last rites. And then you just hope like crazy you don't sin before you die. <laughs> but see, that's just yet another way to locate forgiveness in me. My work isn't, a, isn't done yet. My work of repenting isn't done yet. Therefore, when I die... I'm not sure if I'm standing before God. You guys just said it this morning. I heard you guys say it. But I am heartily sorry for them. And you liars, you're not heartily sorry for nothing, nor do you sincerely repent. Right? See, this is not actually a quality in us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to teach us to be heartily sorry, to teach us to sincerely repent. But guess what? Don't ever rely on that for your salvation. Your sincerity of heart, your ability to actually be sorry. Do not rely on that for salvation. You look where for salvation? Jesus. And you say, This is done. It is finished. So if you die before you have a chance to repent, are you saved? That says yes. If you look here, it's always going to say, I don't know. Probably not. Because even as I repented before my priest, there were some things that I wasn't actually that sorry about. I knew I should be, so I said it. Right? See, whenever you start looking here, you're always going to end up doubting. Always. But when you look here, you say, this is God's action to save me. I'm putting all of my hope in that. So when Christ comes back as judge, you say, all of my hope's in you. None here. I don't want to get too far afield, but this is on this topic. Yesterday's funeral service that we attended. Perfect example. pretty scary about two, two-thirds of the way through the priest's message. He was doing okay for about a little while. And then he went off the... Uh, I mean, it was actually scary. He didn't get hope. He put fear. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What you just said is exactly right. And that's what we said as we walked out. So we went to a funeral yesterday. One of our co-workers at the IC was actually a Roman Catholic person. And uh, Paula Ross, who was the reporter editor for 35 years, basically. And uh, so we went to her funeral yesterday at, at Holy Infant Catholic Church up there on New Baldwin Road. D- wonderful young priest. Just a wonderful young man. 
uh, sincere in his devotion, his piety was obvious, uh, just did, did a wonderful job of many things, and was wonderfully Catholic. He actually preached what they believe. And what he preached was this, that our dear sister has died, and we sure hope that she did enough to be welcomed into the gates. So please pray for her. But if she didn't, pray, 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 because right. they get her there. Right, but if, if you're doubting, pray more, because that might help. Yeah, and he said explicitly, all of us are going to die and face judgment. Right? He said explicitly. I was proud of him for that. It was very well said. All of you here will also die and face judgment. So, be good. Be good. Renew your vows to the church. Right. Come to church, give pray, give alms to the poor. It was that. See, the rescue was not your sinner. Look to Christ and His death and resurrection. I didn't hear that once. The problem, the thing was, you're a sinner. Now go home and try to be a better sinner by by not sinning as much. And you're like, uh oh. I don't think he said Jesus Christ was. He he did. Did he? He did. But it was not ever the rescue from sin. It was a, he was a liturgical focus of words, but it was never the rescue from our sin. It was always the glory of God in Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ in the sacrament of the Mass, but it, had, it never had anything to do with individual sin. Right? And, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be in a Catholic Mass, but if you want to know the importance of, of Christ as Savior, going to a Catholic Mass will make you walk out and go, I need a Savior, and that didn't give it to me. Right? And I'm not being mean. He did a good job of being explicitly what he believes. The problem is that, doc, that body of doctrine is actually pointing people away from Christ at this point. And this is what Luther saw and said, there is no hope here. For actual sinners, there's no rescue in this theology. Luther said, I need a savior. And it ain't me. Right? You have to share with the class what he said in a little story when you saw Paula the last time. Yeah. So Paula, Paula was, really was a wonderful, uh, run, wonderful lady and a, a nice co-worker. Um, I spent a lot of time talking to her about theology because she was Roman Catholic. And so her priest did come to give her last rites. Um, less than a week ago, really, right? Tuesday. On Tuesday, this, this Tuesday. And he walked in and she said, Father, I have to confess something to you. I have to tell you something. And I've never told you I've, before. I've never told you before. And he said, I was ready, to, you know, you hear just about anything at this point. And she said, I've been working for the Lutherans. <laughs> now the funny thing was his response yeah, that's, that, that's he said I told her that's okay because the Lutherans need to hear the truth too <laughs> but if you listen to his sermon the truth was not the truth of scriptures it was the truth from a reporting from a journalistic point of view which I thought was odd I thought it was very odd Okay, and I don't want to pick up. Like I said, the, he was a he was a very he did a great job of the mass. He did a great job of the service. He was wonderful and gracious. Here's the other thing, and I'm, now I will get in trouble. Oh well, it's too late. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Let's let's go. Let's keep going. Number three. I know. Now I got you wondering, don't I? We'll bring it out some other time. Number three. How can you see and hear God? In Christ. See, he actually says, look what he says in 37. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Now, that's directly contradictory to Exodus where they saw his form and heard his voice. See, what is, it, what is he saying to them? He's saying, that was me. And if you read it as though that wasn't me, you'll never see God. And you'll never hear Him. If you try to get to God without Jesus, that's us. 
That's the only way that God and us connect. If you try to do this, you will never find him. Never. You will never see his form. You will never hear his voice. The only way to know God is to know Christ. And this is the scandal of the New Testament. The entire thing teaches that the only way to know the divine being is to know Jesus. He is the full revelation of God. If you want to know God the Father, where do you look? Jesus. If you want to know God the Holy Spirit, where do you look? Jesus. If you want to know the God who created the universe, where do you look? Jesus. This is the scandal of Christianity. We actually teach that there is no access to God outside of Jesus. And why do we say that? Because it's what it says in the Word, right? The only thing we have to understand God says, hey, if you want to know who I am, look at Jesus. That's who I am. Okay? So number four, where is true glory found? Or in, in the NIV, I think it says praise. Right? Um, in verse 44, I think it says praise for one another. Yes. Yeah, NIV says praise. So glory, praise, kind of a weird, glory is actually a better translation. So where is true glory or praise found? God in Christ. Okay? Go back to John 1. This is why it's important to read John in circles. 114. John 114. Okay, so John locates glory in Christ as God in the flesh. That's glory. You want to see glory? Look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to see glory? It's not an elevation of self. It's in service to others in Christ. Right? Go to 1 Peter. It's way towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter. Who wrote 1 Peter? Sam. Sam. Good. That's why his name is 1 Peter. Right? 1 Peter is written by Peter. It's easy. Okay, remember, the books of Paul are named after the people who receive the book. So Romans was written to the church in Rome. 1 Timothy was written to Timothy. So Paul's books are, are named after the person who receives them. In the, in the next section, the Catholic epistles from Hebrews through Jude, they're named after the author with the exception to Hebrews because no one knows who wrote Hebrews. Okay? But the rest of the book, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd John, and Jude, were all written by the people whose names are on the books. Just like the Gospels. Right? See, it's so easy. We just made it up that way. And then Revelation is just a book that, you know, it's just Revelation. Unless you know what's going on. Alright, 1st Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Okay, now, if you have a pencil and it's your Bible, you're allowed to add a word. It's okay. Because it's best read if you put a by, B-Y, between 6 and 7. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. And the humbling comes by casting all your burdens on him, or all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Seven ex- example of how you humble yourself before God. You put all of your, your anxieties on him. You say, you're God, I'm not. You take care of this. I can't. Okay? But what I want you to see in these passages is glory is not something you give to yourself. It's something that God gives. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's true for us as well. He's saying, I'm not seeking glory of my own. No, the Father will give me glory. How does the Father give Jesus glory? Because he makes himself nothing. Philippians chapter 2. Because Jesus took on the very form of a servant, made himself nothing, became subject to death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So that Jesus is the glory of God because he sacrifices himself as the salvation of man. So guess what? If you want glory, what do you do? Humble yourself. You die. You serve your neighbor. You don't say, look at me. You say, look at Jesus. That's where glory is found. We spend our whole lives saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look how awesome I am. We're trying to find a way to be awesome, right? But the real glory is found in service, in love, in Christ. Humble yourself before God. And He will lift you up. We say, God stinks at lifting me up. I'm going to lift myself up. Just listen to the twist. Listen to the twist. Jesus says, you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear? Work hard, get a promotion, and it'll be fine. No, he actually says this. He says, if you're worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, don't worry about those things. That's what the Gentiles worry about. You seek first the kingdom of God. And when you do that, everything else will be added unto you. You get yourself at the foot of the cross. You get yourself in Christ. You, you focus your entire being on God in Christ Jesus as Savior of this world. And guess what? God will take care of it. Pray for daily bread as Jesus taught you. And when he gives you an occupation, when he gives you something that pays you income, what do you say? Thank you. And what do you do with that? You serve God faithfully. And you serve your neighbor. Because it's something given to you by God. So you serve him with it. Right? Right? And if he gives you a body, what do you do with it? You serve God with it. And your neighbor. Right? And it's, it's just, it's this easy, is that everything is pointing to the glory of God in Christ. Okay? All right, number five. Of whom did Moses write? Jesus. Now, I know that's review, and I know that's everything we've been saying, but I just want you to see how Jesus is doing this. He actually says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. And you say, Moses? Moses wrote Leviticus. That's a long book of laws and sacrifices and all kinds of rituals and stuff. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's all about me. So, do we read the Old Testament? We read the entire thing as it is written about Jesus. Right? Because that's how Jesus says to read it. And he knows a thing or two about it because he's, yeah, he was there. It's his word. You know, he's God. Okay, does that make sense? Jim? It's in the front of Exodus, gospel themes. Uh huh. God remembers and fulfills his promises to the patriarchs 
atonement through sacrifice. Uh huh. Yeah, that's right. So. Atonement is what? What does that mean? What's that? At one mint. That's that's your fun little passphrase. What does that mean? At one mint. What does that mean? Explain that. It means that you were separated from God by your sin, and He brings you back to God. Okay, so it's the idea that sin separates us from God, and atonement. Reconciles us, right? That's another New Testament phrase. Reconciliation, redemption. It's all this idea of being brought back, right? And it's atonement by or through sacrifice. Well, isn't that how you you are saved? You're brought back to God that your sin separated you from. How? By sacrifice. Where is the sacrifice? Right there. So all the Old Testament sacrifices that accomplished atonement by sacrifice were pointing ahead to the one sacrifice that ends all sacrifices and makes atonement for all sin of all time of all people. Christ died once for all, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And in him who knew no sin, but was made sin for us, that we might be reconciled unto God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Okay? So this is the point. Exodus is actually written about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And remember, Exodus as an event is God rescuing his people from slavery and setting them free from slavery so they can live with him forever in the promised land. That kind of sounds like the narrative of Jesus' life, doesn't it? He says, and we'll actually get there in John chapter 8, he goes, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They're like, well, what does that mean? He goes, you get to live with me forever in the Father's kingdom. Kind of sounds like the promised land. Right? So that's exactly right. The Exodus is the story of God providing atonement by sacrifice. It's the story of God saving his people. We go, ooh, I know that story. Right? I know that story. That makes me think of the Easter Vigil service because you have about 12 readings from the Old Testament that all are pointing to... Christ. If, if you ever get a chance to go to the Easter Vigil service, go. All the stuff I'm saying, it's explicit in that service. They just go over and like finally, you're like, dude, I get it. <laughs> Whatever you read from the Old Testament, it's fulfilled in Christ. I got it. Right? It's a fantastic service. You ought to look, usually Village has one, St. Paul de Pera has one sometimes. You ought to look, we'll, we'll try to remember to do this when Easter comes. Hope I have one this year. When we, when we come close, we'll find services that have them because if you've never been, you need to go. It's, it's Easter Vigil, which obviously it's, it's Holy Saturday night. So it's, it's the night before Easter. Um, but it's, it's worth your time. It's worth your time. You, it, it is just a wonderful collection of how the Old Testament is fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Okay? Um, any other questions? I feel weird that we're done with John 5. It's been like a nice six months of John 5, so... <laughs> I'm nervous to move on. But uh, John 6 is actually much longer and deeper, believe it or not. Okay, so let's read John 6, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people might might eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he could do, what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 
one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the, those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered, gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, thank you. All right. Number six. What is the setting for this sign? Far side of the Sea of Galilee. All right, they're on the Sea of Galilee. So they're up north, right? Do you guys know where the Sea of Galilee is, right? <coughs> Dead Sea, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem's down here. So we're up here in the Sea of Galilee. Remember we had Samaria, had the woman, woman at the well, so Samaria kind of cuts through like this. We're up here in the region of Galilee. Um, this is where the Synoptic Gospels locate most of Jesus' work is up in, in Galilee. John doesn't. John locates most of Jesus' work in Jerusalem, which is a little weird, um, but that's okay. Um, so we are actually now up in Galilee. We're hanging out, and we're going to do some, some teaching and some signs. We'll go back to Jerusalem pretty soon, like in the next chapter. But for now, we're going to be in, in Galilee and Capernaum. We're going to get to Capernaum pretty soon. Okay? So we're up there. But more importantly, where are we? We're on a mountain. Where did Moses talk to God? On a mountain. Okay? So he just said, Moses wrote about me. The next thing we have Jesus doing is talking to the people of God from a mountain and doing a sign from a mountain. Guess what? Jesus, just like he did when he met with Moses, right? That's the key. Just like when he met with Moses, Jesus again appears on a mountain. Go to Exodus chapter 24. I just got to show you this. Exodus chapter 24. Since Jim mentioned Exodus. Exodus 24. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We'll read verses 9 through 11. Best verse ever. They saw God and ate and drank. <laughs> what did you do this morning? I heard you say it. <laughs> Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Look, look, look. Lamb of God, take away the sin. What'd you do? You ate and drank. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what Jesus does. Okay? So. And then it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. And now Jesus is going to do what? He's going to perform a sign and teach from a mountain. So, he just said in chapter 5, You've never seen him. You've never heard from him because you're rejecting me. So now, if you want to see and hear from God, you've got to come to me. Just like I did in Exodus, you can see and hear from God when you see and hear from me. Right? So now John 6, he goes up on a mountain. Just like he did in Exodus. And guess what he's going to do on that mountain? He's going to feed them. Okay? They saw, they saw God and they ate and drank. Guess what they're going to do on this mountain? They're going to see God 
He's going to feed them. Okay? So this is all the way that Jesus is pulling this together. The Gospel of John is pulling all these things together to help us understand this theme. That the God of the Old Testament is revealed in Christ. The God who speaks in the Old Testament is speaking in Christ. Always has, always will. Roger, did you have a hand up earlier? Did I miss you? No, you didn't. Okay, I just want to make sure. Did you? Scott, go ahead. I've never been to Israel, so I don't understand the topology of it. I mean, we're talking about mountains. We're not talking like Rocky Mountains. No, 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 no. No, we're not. We're talking hills. Um, but they surround, they kind of surround the, the Sea of Galilee. Is It's kind of hills. I mean, they're mountains, but they're not like Rocky Mountain mountains. We have the best mountains in the world. Except for the real mountains that are like in Nepal and Tibet. Yeah. They just have little ones, you know, twice as high as ours. But, you know, other than that. But yeah, they're, they're not, but they're rocky. I've never been there either. i just seen pictures. So, have you guys been there? Yeah, so what are the mountains like near the Sea of Galilee? Uh, pretty grassy. Gra- they're the grassy there? Very yeah. grassy. Yeah, okay. You can get a workout walking. Yeah, I mean, they're not like little hills. They're actually big enough. The, the thing that most people don't recognize is that the Sea of Galilee itself is down in the valley. Yeah. And the whole, the whole Jordan River is in the valley, so that's why the storms sweep up there are so Surrounded, so when the pigs ran off, ran off the Uriacetes, they plummeted off of the mountain. Right into the sea. Yeah. Into the sea. So everything, everything there is. It's a good hike. You know, you've gone up to the top by the time you've gone down. Yeah. And they, they, yeah, up there. So are we talking like Ozark Mountains hills? Or? I don't know. How big are they compared to like the Ozarks? Are like. How tall are they? Well, if you if you get into the foothills of the Ozarks, that's what they look like. Okay. Which is anyway, there's a whole issue with mountains, but that's okay. All right, number two. Why does Jesus ask Philip? Yeah, he's actually testing Philip. He's testing him. Do you believe that I'm the one that provides bread? Do you believe that I'm the God who provides? Do you? And what does Philip say? No, I don't believe it. I think money will provide. And Jesus goes, But he does that to the disciples all the time. Yeah. He asks them the questions that are just completely. Just I think talk. a good teacher does that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And and why don't the disciples get it? Let's be fair to the disciples. Why don't they get it? Because he hasn't died yet, and the Holy Spirit has not taught them yet. Okay, we, we can't miss this. That the actual rhythm of the Gospels is the disciples don't understand Jesus at all. They don't get him. They really misinterpret everything he does. Until he dies and rises and the Holy Spirit goes, well, when he said that, he was talking about this. And they're like, oh, oh, that makes so much more sense now. Okay, so don't get too frustrated when you don't get it. You're in good company. That's why we keep doing this and keep talking about it is fulfilled here. Because we, we always misinterpret things. We always naturally just mess it up. And so we just keep, keep going, teach us, teach us to learn to read the scriptures as focused on Christ, as focused on his death and resurrection. We, come, we do this all the time in parables. Parables. One day we're going to do parables in here. We come to a parable and we say, oh, this is some cutesy little story that Jesus says something about God. And so we make all kinds of stuff up. And we go, well, maybe it's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. No, 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 it's about me. And I'm this person and you're that person. We're like, what? What? Maybe it's about Jesus. Okay? So we're always prone to misinterpret. And so the disciples don't quite get it yet. 
He's asking Philip a question, and Philip answers as any of you would. As I naturally would. I was thinking earlier, John, when he talked to the Jews and saying, you don't get it. Right. I mean, he's kind of talking to the disciples that he's already chosen. They're kind of in that group. Yeah, and they're always kind of listening in. You're kind of like, what's going on here? Yeah. You don't get it. We, we look at the Pharisees as the evil right. only ones that aren't getting it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And some of the Pharisees will get it in the end. Namely, Nicodemus. He'll get it in the end. Okay? Just like some of the disciples get it in the end. Okay? Um, Number nine. Number eight. We're going to get through the whole first page just because. What meal is associated with the Passover? This is going to be like a cliffhanger for you. What meal did Jesus give that's associated with the Passover? The Lord's Supper. So, what are you supposed to think about when you read about the feeding of the 5,000? The Lord's Supper. Here's the thing. There is one miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's not the walking on the water. It's not casting out of demons. It's not the raising of Lazarus. It's not the raising of Jairus' daughter. It's not the widow's son at Nain. It's feeding the five thousand. The only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Hello, young people. Welcome. So, what John does with the feeding of 5,000 is he actually locates, locates it with the Passover so that we will associate this with the giving of the Lord's Supper. Okay? And when you read John 6, we'll get there in like six months. When you read the end of John 6, you know what Jesus is going to say? If you're going to eat and drink, you best be eating my and drinking my blood. Okay? So all of this is moving in a sacramental way to see the body and blood of Jesus as the food that God gives us that results in eternal life. Okay? So it's all going to move that direction. And we'll talk about how it does that, how John does it, and how the other Gospels do the similar moves. Okay? So you can answer the last question. What meal is associated with Passover? No. Oh, never mind. There's, yeah, there's several more. It was close. But we did get through the whole first page. This is pretty good. Okay, so uh, Bible class this Wednesday. And, yeah, and voters meeting Tuesday. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to focus on Christ, not because by so doing we earn your favor, but because in him we learn to trust that you are a God of love, whose steadfast love and mercy never end, but your faithfulness is new every morning. And so we learn to trust in you, to hope in you, and to find joy in your love for us. Bless us in that faith this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you all.